Uh, and in reality, you do have uh, more options than ever before, but I would argue that if you care about doing your most exceptional work, you don't have uh, many more options because God's created you with unique interests and with unique propensities to be gifted at certain, certain things. Welcome back to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Uh, we're excited to have you listening with us. We've got a great episode for you. We have Jordan Rayner, who wrote a book called Master of One, and it's really tackling this topic of kind of a theology of excellence. How do we approach excellence in our life? And Alan, you got to interview Jordan and um, had a great conversation with him. Why don't you kind of tee us up for what we, we should expect from this episode? I've followed Jordan for a while now, and he really brings us as Christians to this understanding that we need to be excellent at what we do. And it's a very simple idea, but many times we do junk for Jesus. I think we almost make an excuse to not do things so well because, well, God loves me. And he, in the book and even in this interview, talks about how we need to be amazing at what we do. And part of that is the path of singularity, which, which is really counterintuitive today. I want to do all the things. As a leader, you're kind of expected to be somewhat of a generalist, and, and it really pushes us to being a jack of all trades and a master of none. And he flips that on his head and says, we should become a master of one. We should pick one thing, uh, you know, maybe not early in our lives, but we should move into a space where we pick one thing. We become really excellent at that. And he actually is describing that as worship. To do that thing really well is actually pointing back to our creator. And it's a unique message. I think that we've lost in the gig economy, uh, in all of us trying to do all the things. Um, we have gained a lot of anxiety and we've lost a lot of excellence in the meantime. So David, where do you see this message playing out right now in our culture? Well, I'll just speak personally. Um, as a nine, this resonates with me, this high idea of master of none that I can be you know, good at a lot of different things, but not necessarily try to hone in and, and master any one of those things. And part of it could be an insecurity thing that if I kind of put my eggs in multiple baskets and do them proficiently, then that's almost a badge of honor. But what I'm doing is maybe neglecting an area of my life that God really wants me to press into, that he's uniquely gifted me for and wired me for, that I am neglecting maybe out of fear or laziness or whatever it is, um, so that I can kind of be this, this master of none. And that's kind of how I've always functioned. And so this is a convicting concept for me to, to look at my life and reflect, okay, what do I need to press into, especially in this season to hone and look at as a craft and a gift and not be, I don't know, dismissive or insecure about that, but to actually own it as something I need to steward. So yeah, it's, it's a weird thing that I've been wrestling with, um, through this, especially as a small, smaller church pastor, you're expected to, to be good at a lot of different things. And I've kind of owned that and I'm, I'm starting to rethink, rethink how I, how I go about ministry. Yeah. And it's hard because David, you, you can't just say, oh, I'm only going to do one thing. I'm never going to communicate through email. I'm never going to um, you know, figure out tech things. A lot of 
especially, you know, lead pastors, some of them, even like CEOs of companies are having to figure out tech things that they're saying I was never hired for. Some companies are downsizing and for a season are going to have to do more. So the message can almost be written off because it's too good to be true. But the reality is if you work incrementally toward maybe 2% of your week each week, heads in this direction or five more per, you know percent of your year this year you can spend on this particular type of project there are different ways to get there and we address a lot of that in coaching we have processes for this but you're not going to get there if you don't believe that you should get there so that's where i think we have to take a stand in our minds and during this episode even ask the question what do i need to get rid of in my life so i can actually focus and then ask on the other side what is the thing that God has uniquely wired me, uniquely designed me to do. So in this episode, we actually talk about unique design, which is a huge concept that we discuss a lot. What are you uniquely designed to do? And the reality is something is holding you back from that. Maybe it's your mindset. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's you saying yes too much. So that's where we want you to get really practical as you listen to Jordan share in this episode. What's holding you back from that? For pursuing excellence, from the path of singularity, for doing a few things, and for doing them really, really well. Before we jump into the episode, we want to invite you to uh, partner with us. It can seem weird to, to do that, but we really believe so deeply in the conversations that we're having that we want to invite you to partner with us. And we have a partnership with a platform called Storehouse. And if you go over to storehouse.world, you can find our page there. And um, really, it's kind of like a kingdom Patreon slash Kickstarter. And it's a place for people to fund kingdom dreams and kingdom content creators. So we fall on the ladder. We are continuing to make these episodes and it takes time and energy, uh, monthly resources. And um, so we would love if you would consider supporting us as we continue to have these conversations centered around health and leadership. So without further ado, enjoy our episode with Jordan Rayner. Well, Jordan, thanks for uh, stopping by the podcast today. Oh, it's my joy to be with you, Alan. Thanks for having me. I love this topic. I've loved this book. And uh, you just have a lot of stories of fascinating, really compelling leaders uh, that have shaped me, I'm sure have shaped you in the process of this. Uh, what's interesting is, though, as you write about singularity, Jordan, it seems like you've done everything. I mean, probably short of being a circus <laughs> performer, it feels like you've done a little bit of everything. Why don't you give us, um, just kind of dip our toes into some of the things you've gotten to do over the years? Yeah, man. So I wrote this book, Master of One, because for the longest time, I was the quintessential jack of all trades, master of none, right? So started my career in politics, uh, did an internship at George W. Bush's White House. You know, in college, I did everything. I, I played piano for tips at a wine bar. I sold newspapers. I worked for a tech startup. Uh, so I, 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 I just always had a really wide array of interests. And there were a lot of things that I was good at, but nothing I was really exceptional at. And as I talk about in the book, you know, I actually have no problem being described as a jack of all trades. Uh, I think that's the inevitable byproduct of finding the work you can do most exceptionally well in the world. But as a Christian, I have a huge problem being described as a master of none. That's the rub for me because I, you know, I believe the essence of the Christian life is to glorify God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And we do that when we do our work masterfully well, when we serve as effective imitators and 
image bearers of God's character of excellence, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think the opposite of mastery is mediocrity. I think that's our default mode. And mediocrity is nothing short of a failure of love of our neighbor and a misrepresentation of our father. And so, you know, for years I was asking this question, okay, all right, well, what's the alternative to being a master of none? And over the years, I've come to believe wholeheartedly that the best strategy is, you know, fine if you're a jack of all trades, fine if you're a Jill of all trades, but uh, focus on becoming a master of one. And that's what this book is all about. I'm helping readers find and focus on and master the work they believe God created them to do in this season of their careers. Hmm. So you got a lot of young people reading this book, and um, I've heard it described that kind of your young years are for trying a lot of different things, for exploring those kind of things. Um, Talk a little bit about how to kind of pivot from exploration of a lot of things uh, like you've done into mastery. What is the path from exploring into mastery? It's a great question. So let, let, let me start by saying I celebrate professional experimentation, right? In fact, I think we ask young people to commit to their quote unquote one thing way too early uh, in life, right? I, I think in order to make the best choice as to what you're going to master, uh, you necessarily have to explore a lot of different options, right? But But once you've done that, once you've done a bunch of experimentation, you've collected a lot of data on what you can be good at, I, I think you got to make a choice. And you know, frankly, I think a lot of people, especially young people, are afraid to make a choice because they are overwhelmed with options. We've never had more options for what to do with our careers. And I think that leads to paralysis, right, in making those decisions. So a couple of pieces of encouragement I would give to somebody in that spot. You know, number one, Remember that there is no right decision for your career. You know, I think a lot of times we treat career or calling kind of the way that Hollywood treats the search for a spouse, right? That there is this one singular person uh, that I could potentially be good partners with throughout my life. And we know that's ridiculous, right? Like there are likely dozens of people who could make great partners for you in life. The same is true for your work. God has given you a lot of interests, a lot of skills and freedom to pick a lane, right? So remember, there's no right decision, but there is a Mr. Best for your career. The second thing I would encourage you to remember if you're on this brink of choosing what your one thing is going to be, you'll be encouraged by the fact that there are very few irreversible decisions uh, in this life, right? Just because you commit to this thing and pursue mastering it for a couple of years doesn't mean you can't pivot to something tangential or totally different somewhere down the road. And the last thing I would encourage this person uh, is, is remembering that if you desire to do your most exceptional work because you believe that as a Christ follower, you are called to bear his image and to serve other people well, I believe there is an imperative to make a decision at some point. And that point is different for different people. Some people choose their one thing when they're eight years old. Some people choose their one thing when they're 40. That's okay. But at some point, I think we got to say, okay, I'm good at a lot, but that's the thing I'm really going to sink my teeth into. This is the one thing that I'm going to purposefully practice uh, in service of neighbor and the glory of God. Mm. I love how you are bringing this thread of excellence and even sharing this phrase, theology of excellence. And yet there's a ton of mediocrity out there for kingdom leaders. Um, why do we do 
what I affectionately call junk for Jesus so much within kingdom work. Why aren't we doing the best work? And why is there so much mediocrity out there in amongst kingdom leaders? Man, that's a good question. Uh, honestly, I, I think not to get like too theological, uh, but I think this stems from a really poor theology of work, right? Before you can ask the question like, why care about excellence and why fight mediocrity? I think you have to ask the question, what's the purpose of work itself? I think too many people, uh, even many, if not most Christians, exist on one end of an extreme spectrum of what we believe the meaning of work to be. You know, on the far left-hand side of that spectrum, we view work as a meaningless means to an end, right? So I go to work to collect a paycheck to move on to the truly meaningful things in life, like my family or donating money to quote-unquote full-time missionaries, my least favorite term on the planet. Uh, and that's not at all the biblical picture of work. The Bible is the only religious text that says that God himself worked. Every other religion says that the gods created human beings to work and serve the gods. But Christianity starts with a God who created, a God who is productive. I would argue a God who worked. And then he created us in his image and called us to fill the earth through our work. So work is not meaningless. It's one of the most meaningful things that we do because when we do it, we have an opportunity to glorify God and show others what he is like, right? And if that's true, we ought to have the highest standards for excellence in our work. The purpose of work is the purpose of life. Again, to glorify God, love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, and so I, I, I just think when we don't get that, when we don't grasp that we are called to bear the image of our exceptional father, uh, it can be really easy to view work as just something that you know I do to pay the bills. And that's not at all what we as Christians are meant to do. Mm, really good, really helpful. Um, you interview some incredible people. That's one thing I love about the book. Story is just infused and threaded all throughout it. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, what are a few um, of the stories of these people that you interviewed that really just grabbed your attention as you chronicled them? Yeah, so I think we all learn from stories. Uh, I know my favorite books are you know, really narrative-driven nonfiction. And so, yeah, we went out and we either interviewed firsthand or did research for people who were deceased of like you know, 20 Christians who are undisputable masters of their crafts, right? So we talked to Fred Rogers' biographer. Uh, I talked to C.S. Lewis's stepson, who's become a good friend of mine. We talked to uh, the woman who blew the whistle on Enron. Her name's Sharon Watkins. Uh, Cynthia Marshall, the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. Uh, so yeah, just some fascinating people. Um, I'm trying to think what stories like really stood out to me. Um, I think Mr. Rogers is one, right? So his fame really started to peak uh, in this more recent era, right as I was writing the book. I was writing the book in the summer of 2018, which is right when the documentary came out on his life. And uh, he just stood out to me because I think it was a really, really clear picture of the path to mastery that I described in the book. Rogers had tons of different interests. He wanted to do a bunch of different stuff. He loved music. He was a really talented composer, but he also loved puppetry and children's education, right? And he also wanted to be a pastor. He went to seminary, right? So he had all these different interests. But he, he was also really clear on the fact that if he was going to do great work in service of others, he couldn't do it all, right? He had to find a single direction to express as many of, the, of those gifts as possible. 
And for him, literally the first time he turned on the television, he's like, this is it. Like, I get it. This is how I can combine all these different things. Uh, but, but you know, his his whole career is a series of pivots and increasing amounts of focus. It's a story about apprenticeships, one of the three keys to mastery that we talk about in the book. So that was a really compelling story. I think C.S. Lewis's was another, right? So Lewis is uh, somebody I think we all really respect and uh, idealize to some degree. And you know, what, what really stood out to me about Lewis's story was in talking with Lewis's stepson, uh, Douglas Gresham, helping, hel- helping me understand the difference between a one thing that is broad and specific, right? So I, when most people read the title Master of One, like, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to commit to one job for the rest of my life. And I agree, neither am I, right? Uh, and that, but that's not what we're talking about. You know, C.S. Lewis's one thing was really broad, but it was the thread that connected all of his work together. So his one thing was teaching, right? Whether he was on the, on the radio at the BBC teaching the British people how to you know, integrate their faith with World War II or writing fiction or writing nonfiction or lecturing at Oxford, he was a teacher in everything he did. And according to his stepson, he was just very intentional about purposefully practicing that craft. So again, those are the two stories that probably stand out the most uh, to me. But man, there's so many, there's so many good ones. It's, it's hard to choose. Yeah. And it, it's interesting that that thread, we don't think about that enough because we like to think about Lewis as the writer. Well, maybe that's how we remember him as our parents are reading us stories growing up. But really, um, looking for that common thread, I think a lot of people already have the one. They just don't see it as broad. Yeah. Maybe it's a constellation of things or that common yeah, thread think, that is just hard for us to see. I, I think that's right. And I think you know, I, a fair follow-up question to that is like, well, why in the world uh, articulate what that one thing is? And I, I, I think even if your one thing is broad, have, having clarity on it uh, is tremendously helpful because even if it's broad, it's going to eliminate a lot of other things from your vocational plate. I'll, I'll give a I'll give a great uh, great example uh, of this. So right now I'm running a, a business, Jordan Rayner and Company, where we're producing content. You know, this book that we're talking about, my podcast, our devotionals uh, that help Christians connect their faith with their work in a really meaningful way. And in that role today. Uh, that's my one thing, right? So I'm running this venture. I'm expressing my one thing as an entrepreneur. But long term, as this business evolves, my plate is going to get increasingly uh, less full, right? Uh, because at some point, I'm going to bring somebody in to help operate this business, run it day to day, set objectives and key results, determine what the product roadmap is, all those things that I'm currently doing as the entrepreneur right now. But long term, I need to just be focused on vision casting for the organization and creating content. That's it, right? And so getting clarity that those are the things that I'm good at helps me to increasingly put things uh, on other people's plates that are more in line with their core competencies, what their one thing is that they're purposefully practicing. And what I'm hearing there, Jordan, are there different outlets and maybe ways that you get the content out there? Like Lewis was writing, was on the radio, doing live lectures. There's also different seasons. And in my experience, we really miss the different seasons to say at the very beginning, uh, maybe that feels really fun to you. Maybe that feels like a drag to you when you're producing all the content, but eventually you're going to have to manage, you're going to have to bring on the right people. And that feels like a kind of an arc of your career as well as many times starting things, passing them off, right? 
Totally. Yeah. So, and I, I learned pretty early on, uh, you know, again, my, my one thing is entrepreneurship. It's not, uh, being a chief executive necessarily. All those, those things tend to go hand in hand. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a, I'll give you a great example, right? So prior to, uh, focusing on my writing and content creation full time, uh, I was a CEO of a pretty well-funded tech startup, uh, named Threshold 360, uh, I took over the venture when there were, let's call it five or six full-time employees on the team uh, and grew it until we had about 50 people on the team. So, and I, I was, I was the CEO that brought the product to market that found our initial, uh, initial traction, you know, uh, first significant revenues kind of going from zero to one, right. In the words of Peter Thiel, uh, I'm really good at that. I'm not the best person. Uh, to go from 50 to 100 employees to 150 employees. Like that, that's just not that interesting to me. Like I'm a really good founder, but that's a different skill set uh, than a, a, a more professional operator who can come in and take the business to the next level. So it is very seasonal. And as I talk about in the book, I think in our careers, uh, we will likely have multiple one things throughout our lives, right? And that's okay, right? So long as you're aware of that and are giving yourself enough time to become world-class at whatever you're focused on today. Mm. You're doing a phenomenal job uh, curating the podcast and asking questions. Uh, the call to mastery, I'm loving oh, it. Um, Thank you. I loved your interview with Carly Fiorina. Um, some of the others there, the Jeff Goins lunch that you had, uh, there was yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Curious, yeah. uh, <laughs> What are some of your favorite interviews? Um, you know, people Ooh, don't understand fun. that when you're having the podcast, you're having the most fun of, of anybody else. But what have been some of your most fascinating interviews? 100%. That's, that's exactly true. Uh, so my, some of my favorites. Um, we had Horst Schultze, the co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group, who was just off the charts good. Uh, just talking about why excellence matters uh and and as as a believer and he just has an incredible story so that was a great one um man we're, we're about to release one with ruth cho simons that was very good so the, so the for for your listeners who don't already listen to the podcast uh so the scope is every week i bring you a conversation with a christ follower criteria number one who is world class at whatever it is they do that's the second criteria right and so there's a, a lot of entrepreneurs but there's a lot of people. So we have a nurse practitioner on there, right? Uh, we've had world-class athletes, right? So people from a bunch of different disciplines. So yeah, Carly Fiorina was a great one. Horst Schultze. Um, uh, Luke Lefevre was a really good one. So Luke's a good buddy of mine. He's the chief creative officer at Dave Ramsey's company, Ramsey Solutions. And I think my other favorite one is probably this guy named Jeff Heck, who actually talked about in uh, Master of One. Jeff is the CEO of Monday Night Brewing, uh, this brewery in Atlanta that has exploded uh, in the last few years. And Jeff, he's just a brilliant guy. He was a Harvard business grad, uh, wasn't sure what he wanted to do when he graduated and left, uh, left, left Boston, but he was thinking about med school, he was thinking about becoming a pastor, and he ended up coming back to Atlanta and starting this brewery while also working part-time at his church. It's just a great story of uh, a guy who had a lot of different options and continually culling those down to one thing. And he also like easily has the best theology of work of anybody working in a brewery in the world. <laughs> like <laughs> his remarkably great theology for why his work awesome. as a CEO, as a as a brewer matters. It's real. It's a great conversation. 
Mm, that's good. I love the section in the book. You're talking about the three lies we believe about work. Can you share those with us? Yeah. So I think these lies are pretty pervasive and I think they keep us from focusing intensely in our career. So the first one is this lie that you can be anything you want to be. Um, I know I believe this growing up, uh, up until middle school, all I wanted to do was play professional basketball. Uh, but guess what? My dad's five, eight and I stopped growing at five foot six, uh, in middle school. I could not be anything I wanted to be if I cared about doing my work with excellence. So that's line number one. The second line, which I think is related is that you could do everything you want to do, right? I, I kind of ignoring the laws of time and trade-offs, right? But I think the third lie is the one I probably attack the hardest in the book because I think it's the most pervasive. And it's this lie that our happiness is the primary purpose of work, right? So Alan, I don't know if you're a millennial. Are, are you a millennial, by the way? I am, believe it or not. Okay. I'm um, kind of, I have, I have some older uh, children and so I don't feel like uh, I'm a millennial <laughs> many days, but for good or for ill, yes, I'm a millennial. All right. So we're both millennials. And I, I'm sure you grew up hearing the same advice I heard from every very well-intentioned adult in my life, right? When it came to career, everybody told me, Jordan, follow your passions, follow your dreams, do whatever makes you happy in your career. And it turns out this advice is garbage, <laughs> primarily because it <laughs> doesn't work, right? Millennials have had more opportunity to do whatever makes us happy vocationally and Gallup tells us that we are the least happy generation of all time at work, right? And in the book, I talk about why. And I cite a couple of different academic studies that show that the number one predictor of somebody describing their work as a calling as opposed to a job or a career is not whether or not they were passionate, quote unquote, about the work before they started it. It's the number of years you have spent practicing your craft right? Passion is a side effect of mastery. We get to love what we do by getting really, really good at it, which, you know, Alan, I don't think this should come as a huge shock to Christians. We follow Christ, the model, uh, the, 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 the man who came not to be served, but to serve. You know, follow your passions focuses almost exclusively on what value a job can offer you, I would argue, and academics are now arguing, that a much more effective and God-honoring strategy is to follow your gifts. Focus on the work you can do most exceptionally well as a means of making others happy. That's the most predictable path to finding work that you are not just going to stay in love with, uh, but not just going to fall in love with, but stay in love with over a really, really long period of time. And there's more and more research um, that, you know, you're not the only one touting this right now. Books uh, like So Good They Can't Ignore You and Cal Newport oh, and others so yeah. are doing some incredible work and research to back this up, to say it isn't just about passion. What about purpose? What about literally being good enough at something to help people change the world uh, in the process? So I think this comes yeah, at the me, right let, time. Let just, yeah, just real quick. Let me just give some credit to Cal Newport here. So Cal, Cal's one of my, uh, easily in my top five favorite authors Incredible. right now, Deep Work, uh, Digital Minimalism. But So Good They Can't Ignore You is off the charts great. Like, and, and, and influence master of one 
almost more than any other book. I mean, I think essentialism was number one. Uh, I mean, obviously behind scripture itself, because I do think there's a biblical mandate for excellence, not necessarily the strategy of Master One, but certainly an, a mandate for excellence. So yeah, it was the Bible essentialism and so good they can't ignore you by counting for it. It's such an exceptional, underrated read. If you feel like you're stuck or you feel like you're overwhelmed as a leader, it may be time for coaching. We have different types of coaching and we have a team of coaches because we know your unique situation looks a little bit different from everybody else's. But you've got challenges. You may feel overwhelmed and not know how to get whelmed. You may feel stuck inside of all that you have to do in a week and just feel the pressure that's resting on you as a leader. We get it. Our coaches are all in the trenches as leaders themselves, but we walk alongside of you to experience health and impact. We want you to get healthy so you can reach more impact as a leader. So we've got four different types of coaching. We have leadership coaching where we can help you understand your leadership and how to best steward that. We have ministry coaching where we can help you understand the unique challenges of the ministry that you've been called to. We have preparation coaching where we can prepare you for your next season or your next role. We also have sabbatical coaching where we can walk you through your sabbatical to prepare and ultimately have the best time that you can to refresh and rejuvenate for the next season of leadership. If you are stuck, this is literally why we exist as coaches. We wanna walk alongside of you in your leadership journey so that you can go the distance. Don't believe the lie that you have to burn out if you are going to be a high capacity leader. We would love to walk alongside of you in your leadership journey. Yeah, so good. Credit where credit is due. Um, love that. I'm curious, uh, what's pushing against mastery today? And do you feel like those cultural pressures are worse today than they were before? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think the, the, the primary thing is those lies that we just talked about. But, the, but the, here's the problem with those lies in 2020. It is, it is much easier to believe that work is all about us because everything in our culture right now is telling us that the point of life is you know individual expression, finding yourself, being all who, who you were created to be. Like I, I just... We're so hyper individualistic uh, that it can be very easy to fall into that trap of, well, work is about me. Work is about making me happy and making me fulfilled. And I th listen, I think the Bible clearly holds uh, joy out as a reward and as an incentive. I think the parable of the talents is a really good example of this. But the focus isn't immediate. Uh, joy for yourself. The focus is excellence. The focus is service and happiness is a byproduct of that, right? So I do think we're living at a time where it's harder uh, to pursue master for those reasons. Here's the other reason. We have more options than ever before for our work, right? If you're living in a, a Western uh, society, um, you do, it, it appears that you can do anything you want to do. Uh, and in reality, you do have uh, more options than ever before, but I would argue that if you care about doing your most exceptional work, you don't have uh, many more options because God's created you with unique interests and with unique propensities to be gifted at certain certain things, right? That hasn't changed. Uh, so yeah, this is a tough time to pursue mastery, but here's the good news. Uh, it's also easier than ever before to learn new skills, to submit yourself 
to mentors in what we, what we might call uh, indirect apprenticeships, as I talk about in the book, uh, and learn from world-class masters, you know, people that you wouldn't have had access to you know, 30, 40 years ago. That's a game changer, right? And as I talk about in the book, those apprenticeships are, are, is, that's the first key to mastering any craft uh, you want to master vocationally. So much to think about there. Um, I'm curious, we are in the burnout space at Stay Forth Designs. We literally help leaders avoid burnout, help leaders get healthy, reach more impact. Um, we don't want to live underwhelmed. We don't want to live overwhelmed. The question is, how do we live whelmed? And so I want to talk about burnout for a second. Why do you think burnout is so pervasive today? Yeah, Alyssa, I think we are just really bad at saying no. And I think that stems from a lack of clarity on what we're saying yes to, right? If you're not saying yes to something that's like wildly inspiring, like a really, really big story for your life and for your career, uh, it can be easy to say yes to everything, right? Because you got no filter by which to say no to. I, I actually think Jesus is a pretty good example of this in the Gospels. You know, Jesus... Uh, pretty frequently said no to good things, right? Because he had already said yes to a bigger purpose for his time on earth. I think Mark chapter one illustrates this really well, right? So Mark opens up his gospel showing Jesus on this really productive day. He started by driving out demons uh, from the man at the synagogue. Then he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed a bunch of other people from the town who showed up at Peter's mother-in-law's place. That's a solid and day right there. Like that's a it's good a day's solid work. day. It's not a bad, not a bad day. And so everybody goes to bed and uh, the disciples wake up in the morning. Of course, Jesus, as he frequently is, is off by himself in solitude. And they come to him like, Jesus, where are you? Everyone's looking for you. They want an encore of healing in day two. And Jesus says in Mark 138, he says, let us go somewhere else so I can preach there also. That is why I have come, right? So Jesus didn't come just to heal or just to reveal his identity. His essential mission, or if you want to put it in the vernacular of this book, his one thing was to preach the gospel in word and, of course, indeed, ultimately on the cross. And so because he was clear on what he was saying yes to, or, or in the words, uh, or in his words, quote, the work the Father gave him to do, he was able to get in the habit of saying no to other things, good things, but non-essential things that were competing for his time and that would have, you know, could have, could have left him burnt out. Uh, so, man, if Jesus can't say yes to everything, neither can we. And if we do, I think burnout is inevitable, right? So I think that's a really practical answer to that question of burnout. I think the, I think the other really practical application is especially for really ambitious people, leaders who are listening to this podcast right now, is being deliberate about rest, right? And, and, I, and that, that can look really practical in terms of Sabbath, in terms of uh, you know putting your phone to bed at the end of every day, like I've been doing for years and it's been a game-changing habit for me. But I also think it's, it's, you know, it is about the practical, but it's also the less practical viewing Jesus as our ultimate Sabbath. So yes, Sabbath is something I observe once a week, but at the end of the day, Jesus is my rest, right? I can rest knowing that God has given me exactly the amount of time uh, that, that 
he wants to give me in this earth to accomplish the work uh, that he's called me to do. He's going to give me no less, no more than exactly the amount of time uh, to do the work that he's called me to do in this life. That's freeing. That Mm. is, and I think that's like the true source of true Sabbath-like rest. That's good. Not everything you want to do, but everything that you are uniquely called and designed to do. I'm curious for you, Jordan, uh, what are some filters that you have for what you're saying yes and no to right now? Yeah, so I, I, I just get super practical with this, right? So um, I love, as a goal-setting framework, I'm a huge fan of OKRs, Objectives and Key Results. Uh, this is kind of made famous by, by Google um, and John Doerr and a few others. So every quarter, my team and I set really, really clear objectives and key results for the venture. Uh, for Jordan Rayner and company, uh, and then for ourselves personally, right? So, uh, you know, breaking this down really practically, if somebody asked me to grab coffee to discuss something this quarter and it wasn't in line with my OKRs, chances are good nine times out of 10, I'm going to say no to that request, right? So, so getting clear of what I'm saying yes to within a given quarter uh, is super, super helpful. Uh, honestly, that's like the most practical way to do it. Here, here's the other thing I do. Um, I intentionally leave very little room on my calendar for stuff that falls outside of those core areas of focus, right? So I basically have 30 minutes a day on my calendar that's kind of free up in the air that uh, I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit would lead me uh, into how to use uh, and just trying to be attuned to how he's moving. So those are a couple of practical things uh, I do to, to filter out the noise and all those other requests. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Again, seasons. Sounds like you know not only what you are about, but the season that you are in, or as somebody said on this podcast once, what time is it for you? Um, Super helpful. Uh, We always want to get a little bit personal and certainly a little bit practical um, here on the podcast. We want to hear how you personally remain healthy. So what are some practices in your life um, and again, feel free to go really practical for us. What are yep. some practices you have um, that allow you to stay healthy, uh, not only to lead in this season, but to continue to lead in the seasons to come? Yeah, I'll list off a, a few. The first one that comes to mind, I don't read the news at all. I consume zero news on Twitter. I consume zero news online. I watch zero news. I listen to zero podcasts, uh, which is ironic since I, I am now recording one. I still listen to news. I'll tell you what, like that is one of the, that has been one of the most game changing habits for me and my mental health. I started doing that about four years ago and it's just made me so much more present and purposeful and productive in everything I do. Right. So that's number one. Obviously right now I'm being wise and checking the news uh, ever so often. This is the first time I've read the news in a long time. Uh, Just there's something called, the coronavirus that's been going yeah. on. I'll tell you about it afterwards. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it afterwards. No, here's the thing, right? Uh, you hear about that stuff naturally. The stuff that matters, that's right. people tell you about. You're not yeah. going to miss it. You're not going to, I promise you won't miss it. Uh, so that's yeah. number one. Number two, um, I am almost never on my phone, right? So I average between 15 and 30 minutes a day of screen time. I love that iOS measures the amount of time you spend on your phone. I try to spend very, very little time on my phone so I can do deep work and be healthy and uh, with, with, with my family, right? So that's a big one, really practical habit there that this has been one of the, the, the most game-changing habits for me. I disabled all notifications on text messages. 
So I don't see it on my lock screen. I don't even see the little badge on the text message app when I open up my phone. Uh, so I check text basically the way I check email twice a day. Uh, I log in there, see if I've got any text messages. And that has never so far created a problem uh, for me because the people who you know want to reach me know how to reach me. They can call me anytime. Uh, so that's a big one. The other one, Sabbath, I already mentioned it, right? But a weekly practice just to... You know, as, as Keith and Kristen Getty say in their great song in Christ Alone, uh, let strivings cease. Just being content, taking a whole day to be grateful for what the Lord has already done through my work. Um, yeah, man, that's a that's a game changer. That's a game changer. I've, we've been doing that pretty consistently for about four years now. Um, and it's made a, made a world of difference. Those are a couple of things I do to stay healthy. Last one. Sorry. I, I'm just ticking them off right now. Uh, I put my phone to bed. Uh, so probably about an hour before my wife and I go to bed, uh, I put my phone down and don't check it until, I don't know, three hours after I wake up in the morning. So I get up at about 445 and I usually don't look at my phone until, I don't know, 7, 730, 745. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. I love uh, that part of our podcast as we get really practical with leaders. We want to honor you. Jordan, thank you for leading the way with a theology of excellence, for calling us to more, and ultimately for stewarding this one life that you've been given. Thanks for being so present with us and jumping in the podcast today. Uh, It's been my pleasure, Alan. Thanks for having me. Another great episode. We pray that this time is kind of a respite for you to be encouraged, to be challenged. Uh, and to, to lead with some maybe renewed hope in your life. And so thanks for following along with us. We could not do this without your support and you continuing to listen. So thank you for that. And we'll see you in the next episode. Shine, 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 shine.